Hey, y'all. If you hate commercials as much as I do, this is the time to subscribe to the premium version of The Monica Perez Show on iTunes. It's only five bucks a month, and it will help me pay production fees without annoying you with commercials. All right, on with the show. Mitch McConnell's resignation, Donald Trump's immunity case, the Gaza dialectic, and more. The Monica Perez Show starts now. So Mitch McConnell stepped down as the Republican leader in the Senate. The Senate, just so you know, is 49 Republicans, 48 Democrats, and three independents that vote Democrat. So uh, that was a big thing. That was, in my opinion, more important in November 2020 in that election than whether Trump or Biden won. And I know that's saying something big, but that was, and that was all about Georgia, by the way. So he, Mitch McConnell was a senator since 1985. He's the longest serving party leader, if I understand that correctly. And this makes Rand Paul the senior senator from Kentucky. Not, I don't know if that matters. I don't, I don't think Rand is in the running to replace McConnell as party leader, that's for sure. But this, uh, it, the reasons I think he gave, he did not cite health reasons, even though over the past year, he had two falls and froze on camera twice. <clears throat> so who knows what's going on with that? He did not cite health reasons. Another place I read it said that he had actually been considering stepping down before the health problem started. Yet yesterday when they were introducing the topic, his statement on Fox, they mentioned that the death of his sister-in-law fairly recently, a few weeks ago, helped him reprioritize, something like that. And uh, and I hadn't even heard about her death. I don't know if you all have, but that's something we've got to go dig into a little bit because I think there's a rabbit hole there. So I actually have no love lost for this guy. Not that any, I mean, I don't think actual Republicans or conservatives would have love lost for this guy, much less libertarians, truth seekers, anything like that. And in my mind, he was the most responsible person for getting Biden into office without actually having an electoral college count. So people act like Trump interfered with the, the count. It wasn't. It was Mitch McConnell throwing in the towel because the, the count that day, January 6th, we were waiting. We were all following, especially in Georgia, very closely what was happening about in this case, of course, like everybody was. But just the blow by blow. And what we expected, I would talk to Garland Favrito every week about this. What we expected was a few days of process where they go through each state and they either certify their electors or they um, don't feel comfortable certifying it. And then there was going to be kind of a process question, which I did some investigating and it wasn't the first time it had ever happened. It happened right after the Civil War. And Actually, that day, they only got as far as Arizona, and uh, Arizona took four hours on the floor to talk about questions of the Electoral College. It wasn't, they would have been done with the whole thing by then if it, if it hadn't been disputed. And um, I have an article I want to read here about that day. Uh just to emphasize like what really happened. So this is an NPR article, one pager 
from that day, from January 6th, it says, heading into Wednesday's electoral college counting process, 14 Republican senators had said they plan to object to at least one state's results. So you need one person from the House and one person from the Senate to object in order to, let's say, um, objections to a state's results during the counting process can be sustained only if a senator and a House member sign off on them. I don't think it was crystal clear what actually happens when you have objections, but that was something that was going to take some days to establish the objections and to establish the process. And I thought an investigation was going to be the outcome a couple of weeks, and then it could be negotiated, which is what happened the first time, or it could be ruled upon. Anyway, uh, after a mob, quote, overtook the U.S. Capitol building on Wednesday, that number dwindled. Um, you know, there's a lot of partisan stuff here, so I'm not going to read it all. It says more than 100 House Republicans said they plan to object to the results, and a significant majority of the House GOP conference did just that, but they needed these senators to object Uh He said Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell had said that rejecting results without evidence would threaten to send U.S. democracy into a death spiral. And this is what's really interesting. Kelly Leffler, uh, she said on the Senate floor, I believe like she was right behind Mitch McConnell. She was a really critical person in this. Soon after the proceedings resumed Wednesday night after it was interrupted from whatever the hubbub, <laughs> perceived hubbub, uh, she she had said that she had intended to object to her state's results, but no longer could in good conscience. She looked like a deer in the headlights that night. She very soon thereafter lost her runoff race, actually that very week, to Democrat Raphael Warnock. Of course, she was going to lose it, but I don't know what they told her. I don't know what made her capitulate. Maybe it was just, I don't know what, just normal pressure. Uh yeah, it says Leffler was one of the loudest amplifiers of falsehoods about supposed voter fraud in Georgia. They're not falsehoods. This is not journalism. I mean, and at least say alleged falsehoods or I don't know what. Uh, Republican senators James Langford of Oklahoma, Steve Daines of Montana, and I think he might actually be the I think he might be the person that Trump wants to replace McConnell, and he was a guy who capitulated. Mike Braun of Indiana also said reverse the course um, and did not object to a state's results. However, Senators Josh Hall, Hawley of Missouri and Roger Marshall of Kansas did continue with their objections, but that didn't prevent Congress from certifying Joe Biden's victory. So Mitch McConnell, by by stopping the process in the Senate, he stopped the process in the Senate. He was the one who got Biden certified and the supposed like a riot on January 6th that could never have been promoted by Trump supporters because they were, they were getting what they wanted. So anyway, not going to rehash all of that because there's something more interesting in this McConnell story. And that is that, uh, so McConnell McConnell was married to Elaine Chow. That's his second wife. Her father is worth $400 million. She was the Secretary of Labor under President George W. Bush and the Secretary of Transportation under Donald Trump. And uh, McConnell's one of the richest guys in the Senate. I think his stated net worth is $25 million, but 
which was supposedly a gift from the fa- the father-in-law, but you know, who knows. But there are there was one thing I think Kyle Bass wrote that McConnell was the only sponsor of a 1992 bill called the US Hong Kong Policy Act which was largely responsible for enriching that family. So the so Chow Elaine Chow has a younger sister. And her name, well she had a younger sister. Her name was Angela she was the CEO of the Foremost Group, which is this company, a shipping company that made the father-in-law so rich. I don't know why she was the CEO. Anyway, uh, her husband, who looks like a white American guy, his VC firm, venture capital firm, was designated recently as a Chinese military operation by the Department of Defense. And that means it's an entity engaged in providing commercial services, manufacturing, producing, or exporting, and is either directly or indirectly owned, controlled, or beneficially owned by an agent of the People's Liberation Army, or it's identified as a military-civil fusion contributor to the Chinese defense industrial base. But it doesn't automatically trigger any sanctions or penalties, but it is kind of interesting (laughs) that the leading Republican is basically in-laws with uh, a Chinese military company and has contributed to their enrichment and has been enriched in turn. So... I think it's just two weeks ago, Angela Chow, her little sister, the CEO of Foremost, Elaine Chow's little sister, died in a really sketchy story. It was on a ranch in Texas, and that ranch in Texas was cited as having been owned by, I think, uh, it's... It was 101 Schneider Lane in Johnson City on February 11th. Public records show the property is owned by a trust that shares the same Chicago address as an investment and public entity, uh, public equity firm owned by Chow's husband, Jim Breyer. Uh, Some reports said that McConnell and Elaine Chow owned that property. That's not what I'm seeing here, but in any case... She, what happened was she was in a Tesla. It was around midnight. There is video, supposedly, there's reports of video that show the Tesla accelerating in reverse to the point where it actually had to overcome significant obstacles and backwards into a pond that was on the property. Then, uh, that was at midnight. Nine minutes later, they, so a call went out. Nine minutes later, I don't know who would have called. Maybe the Tesla called, but nine minutes later, call when uh, the EMT arrived. So there were pe- rescue people there, but they couldn't get into the car. Twenty-seven late, uh, uh, twenty-seven minutes later, the fire department comes. That's a long time for somebody submerged, and I've never heard of a response time that low ever, especially in the middle of nowhere, no traffic. Um, this is in Blanco County. There was no dive team in Blanco County, so that wasn't an option. However. The EMT, which could not get into the car, asked these guys for a certain tool, a Hanniger tool, I think it was called. 
and a Halligan tool, a Halligan tool, which I looked at and it looks kind of like a, a, a cross between a, like a Slim Jim, like a thing that opens a door and like a, a hammer, maybe for both reasons. I think as soon as these guys got their hands on this, they got the, they got into the car and got her out and started trying to resuscitate her. But I think she was in there. Uh, she didn't get out till 1256. Apparently, the fire team was setting up lights and looking for other, like for survivors on the shore, trying to tow the vehicle out. And all anybody really needed, it sounds to me, was a hammer, you know? And they worked on it for half an hour, something like that, 43 minutes, and they could not resuscitate her. But that's a super fishy story. Uh, other the, that all that I just read came out of the newspaper, the Austin American Statesman. They got um, I read the fire department report, which they had to have an information request for was not being released. Apparently, she did not get an autopsy at the request of the family. The car was returned to the family. I don't know if she was cremated. I don't know if there's going to be any way to get an answer on this. I have no idea. And I can't even begin to speculate on the reasons for all of this. But uh, it definitely sounds suspicious. And when I hear about violence happening to people locally, like I believe Brian Kemp's daughter's boyfriend was a deal and he blew up in a car, very suspicious. Uh, when you see like, what was the Democrat when Harry Reid all beat up? Rand Paul was beat up once, you know, like he didn't disappear, but, you know, that you've got to wonder if these are messages being sent. Anyway, I, like I said, I'm completely not a huge fan of him. I'm happy to see him go, except for, of course, like my, my position is like every single president is worse than the one before. <laughs> and I, I, my metric for that is just to look at the debt, the national debt. So I assume the next guy is going to be worse than than McConnell, even if he seems better. Like it just the proof will be in the pudding. So I don't know if we want to. Yes, Mitch. Mitch looks like a turtle. <laughs> and uh, here, where's my? Oh, there you go. Mitch works for the turtles. Korak says Nate calls him China Mitch. Yeah. So I just want to. Let me see if I should rattle off these other little things. He, just a few things about him. In this Wall Street Journal article that I would hit, the Senate leader has fallen out of step with major elements of his conference, most recently over his support for aid to Ukraine and his backing of a muscular U.S. role abroad. Yes, I'm very much against that. He... He said that Trump was practically and morally responsible for provoking the events of January 16th, which, in my opinion, there were virtually no events. The only event was Mitch McConnell needed an excuse to stop his worst nightmare, which was going through that actual process. You know, I'm a fan of process. In uh, Here are a couple of things that I found interesting. In 2011, he was instrumental in vo avoiding a fiscal crisis when he proposed a procedural strategy for raising the debt ceiling that wouldn't require Republicans to explicitly vote in favor of an increase. It was a hallmark of his leadership to serve as a shield that would protect Republicans from tough votes while directing the arrows his own way. So he, he accommodated big spending rhinos. And took the bullets, I mean, because he was probably bulletproof in Kentucky for whatever reasons. 
So, uh, but Biden upon, so what he just said was he had workarounds so these guys could not have to own their own policies. But yesterday Biden said that he and I have trust. We've got a great relationship. We fight like hell, but he never, never, never misrepresented anything. I'm sorry to hear he's stepping down. That's such a classic example of how, like, how confidently and with conviction politicians can lie. <laughs> you know, he's like, he's just like, he never, never, never misrepresented anything. And it's like, wow, like, that must be true. But his hallmark was misrepresenting things. Like, it's just hilarious and also tragic. Anyway, McConnell was key to uh, reopening. Oh, this is another one. Reopening the government in 2013 after a shutdown triggered when Senator Ted Cruz tried to stop implementation of Obama's Affordable Care Act. Ted Cruz had a procedural strategy to stop it, and it absolutely positively would have worked. And it was Republicans who prevented that from happening. I mean, it's just unbelievable. Um. So, yeah, I don't care about that, but I absolutely am going to keep my eye on this ongoing investigation, if there is one, of Angela Chow. So, all right, next up, I'm going to take a little sip of my Lebanese white coffee, which I discovered recently. It looks like water, like hot water, but it's got orange blossom water in it. Super yummy. Anyway, okay. So the next story up is the Supreme Court is hearing Trump's claim of immunity against charges that he plotted to overturn the 2020 election. Uh, right off the bat, I'm annoyed by this because I don't know if anybody else has noticed that like, when people defend themselves against the January 6th thing or against so many... I think January 6th stands out the most for this, where they'll go in and they'll say, we're sorry, <laughs> you know, instead of saying we didn't do it or we were set up or there was an FBI agent next to me kept pushing me forward, <laughs> you know, they're not, they don't defend. Sometimes they, yeah, they just plead guilty and throw a you know, plea bargain, which I want to see actual litigation of these things because I don't believe the facts. So let me just read straight out of this article from the journal today. It says Trump's, now this is what it says in the journal. So I would have to actually read the brief to, to know if he did it or exactly phrased it this way. And also sometimes you're allowed to make different arguments at different, you know, or mutually conflicting arguments in the same case. So it could just be a legal strategy, but it doesn't surprise me in any case if it is just a stipulation to facts that I think aren't even true and would preclude any further defense. This is what it says. Trump's immunity appeal argues that his false claims of election fraud and attempts to pressure state officials and Vice President Pence to undo Joe Biden's victory before its certification on January 6th were official acts Trump undertook under his presidential authority and thus cannot be prosecuted as crimes. So the way the Wall Street Journal phrases it, it has all these facts that are not in evidence, and it has all sorts of motives and judgments in there. I mean, this so, again, not journalism. His, I gotta read it again. His false claims of election fraud and attempts to pressure so-and-so to undo 
Biden's victory before its certification on January 6th. So it was not going to be certified on January 6th. The victory is still disputed. They are, it's not proven to be false claims because there was never any investigation. And did he really attempt to do that? Like, if you listen to the things he said, they're extremely ambiguous. Anyway, uh, so that already on its face just annoys me about the whole thing. But uh, the more important facts here, there's two big impacts that I think come out of this. One is uh, that this has the effect of stalling any trial that might come out of here. So I don't know if immunity, if his like crimes while in office, I think that probably would, I can't remember, I should have looked this up earlier before the show, if that would preclude him from becoming president again. I know that there's another case going forward about whether or not the 14th Amendment precludes him already because he is an insurrectionist or something like that, which of course was a Civil War era thing. so I don't know if there would be an impact directly on his ability to take office, depending on how this particular case were to be adjudicated ultimately. But in any case, this, because the Supreme Court isn't actually going to hear it until their last week in session, which will be April 22nd, then they decide it, and then it still may go forward to a trial. So that could push the trial right up into the into you know November when the election is. And there are four... You know, he he could be facing four trials all at once. One he's still friggin' into involved in is falsifying business records to pay hush money to a porn star. I forget her name. What was her name? Daniels. Uh, which I read the details of that a long time ago. I cannot believe there's still a case going forward on that. Federal charges on election interference, which this might be that. Georgia state charges that he attempted to steal Biden's electoral votes, which is crazy because Georgia was the worst place. Well, I followed it closely and I I totally don't think Biden won Georgia. And uh, that he kept and concealed records at Mar-a-Lago. There is some deep story about that one. I don't know what, what that was all about. If anybody knows, let me know. Stormy Daniels. That's right. Thank you, Corax. Uh, also, yeah, this thing about Colorado, like, can he have been, is it constitutional that he was removed from the ballot of Colorado because of the 14th Amendment insurrection thing? Because Illinois is also trying to do that. Other states would like to do it. So all in all, like, you know what, I, I am terrible at predicting like the actual presidential election outcome or events, or, you know, I feel like the script writers are quite good and you can't guess the ending, but it, in my mind, there's a good chance that one of these things will really interfere with either the election or Trump's ability to take office. And one thing I've noticed for every single presidential election from the year 2000, which I've talked about, is that instead of trying to build consensus like they did before, they try to build discord. So they want the other side to feel like the president is not legitimate. From the hanging chad to the Diebold machine to the Kenyan birth certificate to the acorn, um, you know, pressure at the election booth to it would have been Hillary's illegal immigrants. It would have been Cruz's Canadian birth, (laughs) which was preclusive. Um, It was Trump's Russia thing. So they will have 
one way or another legitimacy questions based on all of this stuff. There will also this time around, I think, be concerns about AI having an impact on the legitimacy of the election. Not for nothing. I don't know. So I don't know how it's going to come out. I can see pros and cons for the agenda setters of whether it's Trump or somebody else. I don't know. But in any case, pushing these things towards the autumn are going to, you know, make them, it's going to be more dramatic and it's going to have more of an impact. So, and the other important thing about this is the actual fact, like, are presidents immune from prosecution for things they do in office? Now, that cannot be absolute carte blanche. But what Trump says is that if, if they, if, the powers that be or the powers behind the scene can always hold over your head the possibility that you will be prosecuted. They tell you to go along, to get along or whatever. But I would say the opposite, that if you're immune, like I'm not generally a fan of being uh, insulated from liability, immune in any respect. So, you know, I would have to think more seriously about this. But for me, I think the opposite is more likely that like you have carte blanche, they'll pressure you or even just say to you, hey, let's make some money. Like you're the guy who can do it. And and I think that happens a lot. So. So that's it. Um, and the only other thing I wanted to say before we get to some comments and I have another story I want to cover, actually, and I'm going to try to take a call. <laughs> um. Calvin says the fake Fannie Willis trial is even more hilarious than the Rittenhouse. A CIA trial. It's just gaslighting, but they want Trump in this time, it seems. Yeah, it, it might be. Like, I just, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. But, I mean, I'm always wrong. <laughs> Let's just put it that way. Okay, so one thing, oh, one other thing I want to say, that Gaza, of course, is in the news again for two reasons. One, uh, the death toll surpassed 30,000. So... On October 7th, the official story is Hamas came over on hang gliders, penetrated the Iron Dome and the unprecedented, unmatched security of Israel and killed 1,200 people and took some hostages. And in response, Israel's flattening Gaza and killed 30,000 people already. And that is the like official Wall Street Journal version. So that's like undisputed. I'm not bringing any prejudice there. I personally think everything is fake as a general rule. And this in particular is just absolutely implausible to me. So even to the extent you wanted to go back and forth and say, is 30,000 versus 1,200 like, you know, within the realm of a just war? I would say, I think that this thing... It's just such a multi-phased operation with what seems to be clear, like one after another, things that they're doing. They have a goal. It's very geographic. And to me, they didn't just like figure that out on October 8th. And I believe that a perfect excuse for a false flag is when you have an operation like this and you need an excuse for it. Um, so that 30,000 number was in the news today and the... There was another news story where they were going in to bring aid, and as these desperate people were converging on the aid uh, distribution, the Israeli forces opened fire on them uh, and killed 100 people and wounded over 700 other people. Uh, you know, I'm sure you're going to hear, like, they were felt threatened or something. I don't know. I didn't want to spend a lot of time on that. I just wanted to identify something that I think explains a question I'd had about this for a while, which is from the moment this started, from the first week after October 7th, the pro-Palestinian anti-Israel protests 
were given a lot of oxygen. There was a lot, a lot of press given to them. But the one thing, the theme that was consistent throughout was this idea that this was a woke Marxist thing. It was very clear. It was meant to be dialectic. And I just, but I just couldn't understand why they were feeding it so much air. But now I realize, because I believe this, you know, when you look at what's happening, it does look like it was, uh, you know, an operation in advance. And maybe people who say October 7th was what you see is what you get. And of course, we have plans in advance of what to do. Okay, whatever. But the plans were there. They knew by October 8th, they were going to implement them and or sooner. And at that point, because they knew how bad it was going to get, they knew there would be outrage. They knew that there would be objections to it. And just the exact same way as in order to make sure that that, that it's a 50-50 split, just like the VAX, they had to make it consistent with the dialectic bipartisan, you're a Democrat or you're a Republican, you're left or right. And if you're in the basket of deplorables or the basket of irrationals, you are going to have X opinion or Y opinion and never the twain shall meet. So by by giving it a lot of oxygen, but making sure it was squarely in the basket of irrationals, I call it, squarely in the woke Marxist, anti-colonialist thing and all that that implies, they made sure that people on the right would, no, would not be tempted to get into that basket or to uh, get that view because it's in the wrong basket, just the way the anti-vax thing was uh, anathema to the Democrats. And a Trump victory would... You definitely be on the side of the. I mean, I, th I think that it, that he he might, you know, get out of Ukraine, which would fit with his like like pro Russian persona, true or false. But he would definitely be on Israel's side, whether above board or behind the scenes, whatever. But that would definitely be one of the things to consider, whether you believe that Trump is kind of slated to come in or not. All right. So let us, let me, um, let me take just a couple of quick comments and then I want to get to a caller from Georgia who's going to give us some um, uh, information and opinions on a tragedy that happened there recently. Okay. So Corax thinks that it's going to be one of those smart cities. I think you mean, oh, Brendan O'Connell thinks that, that like that's what Gaza is going to be. If you look at Saudi Arabia, I mean, that they're still going ahead with this, you know, whatever it is, like hundred mile long wall type building that's hundreds of stories high, some crazy thing like that. It goes with that 15 minute city thing, like cordoning off people so that they're just in these population centers. So anyway, okay. Let us, oh, is this a fact? Oh, wow. Um, too many Gaza pictures and footage are of toy dolls and mannequins, lots of gaslighting. Oh, see, you know, I had actually wondered about that. Like if, if even, you know, it's when the Wall Street Journal is, is telling you about Israeli atrocities and they're, they are shooting people in an aid distribution thing, like that seems like atrocity propaganda. That thing's like, seems like they are trying to pump up uh, the other side. So this, this dialectic may just have a life of its own. I have not investigated the, the truth of 
the reporting, the way I've been doing it is just if the Wall Street Journal is saying it and it's against Israel, then I'm going to just assume that they wouldn't say it if it weren't true. But you know what? That's not a great assumption because these dialectics have, you know, <laughs> many layers, many layers. Okay. So let us, I'm going to have to put my headphones on for this one. Okay. Let us experiment with a um, first attempt at taking a call. Oh, some quack says they're cordoning off his area with, or her area, with uh, tolling. Yeah, I can see that. They will use many methods. All right. So I am going to bring on Miss D, who is uh, from Georgia, in Georgia. And actually, I hate this. I do not want an avatar. I thought this would have no avatar. That's okay. All right. So, hey, Miss D. Hey, Monica. How are you doing? Doing good. Thanks. Thank you so much for coming on. I, uh, you and I have been communicating, and I was horrified at your initial reports of uh, the tragic, horrible, and unnecessary murder of Lake and Riley. And you told me this information before it was even in the news to the point where it hit so many like buzzwords, so many like hot button issues from George Soros's, you know, DAs to immigration to even the AT&T power outage, you know, the cyber attack um, prediction, you know, the, like the prep for us to get ready for a cyber attack that I was skeptical that the whole, you know, about the whole story. But boy, I'm not anymore. So can you tell us what happened kind of from the beginning? Yeah, it's, it's very complicated. So this young lady um, went for a run, I, I think as she often did in the mornings, around 7.30 or 8 o'clock. And she um, cut across the street through a trail that led to University of Georgia Intramural Fields, which has a really pretty running trail. So this is a very popular area with students. There are all kinds of sports fields, and it's just it's very busy. Um, so anyway, she, this guy apparently had been watching her and, um, and this part is not in the news yet, but this is just what I've heard. Um, he had been watching her and had this plan. So that Thursday morning he followed her and, um, she tried to make a 911 call and it was the same morning that AT&T was out so that's something we don't know yet because they're not disclosing that. We don't know yeah. if if we know she tried to make the call. We don't know if it didn't go through because of AT&T or if it was because. I he, see. So, I see. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, because because he, that just tragic coincidence. Yeah. Um, so anyway, um, yeah, rape and murder or sexual assault is what they're saying. And um, he bashed her skull in, um, you know. The report, the police report was just it was her skull was disfigured, wow. so it's very violent, and yeah. her she never she didn't come back after the run. So her roommate contacted the police, and they went out there and found her pretty quickly on the on the trail. He had pulled her body um, off into the woods. So one of his neighbors in the apartment has a ring camera that captured him coming back. Um, and he had blood all over his clothes, so it. Captured- wow, so one of his own neighbors. Yes, and of course his neighbors—they um, won't speak. I mean, they're yeah. all anonymous because they're afraid of retaliation, and right. 
Yeah, and but um, you know, the news had tried to interview a lot of them, but they won't even speak at all. They're afraid of retaliation. So, anyway, but at least um, they turned him in because he was a repeat offender, was he not? Yeah, he was arrested when he came over a couple of years ago, El Paso, illegally, and was From arrested. Venezuela originally. Yes, um, arrested in El Paso and then released immediately. Then he went to New York, and he he got well. He got married in Venezuela just for the purpose of asylum. For, for you know, he and his wife, but it was just for asylum. Um, then he went to New York. He was arrested in New York, and he was um, immediately released because of the status of being illegal. Apparently, they have special consideration, just like they do in Athens for illegals. And he was um, released before ICE even had a chance. What is it? To- what do they do in Athens? It's um, well, the mayor and the, well, the DA and mayor. Um, they had a proclamation that they would consider special circumstances for illegals if they're arrested to consider, um, you know, to consider their circumstances. But basically what they're saying is they would not hold them. So their standard would be lower for crimes? Exactly. That is exactly right. And, you know, this is stuff you can That's insane. Yeah. Their standards, yeah. Yeah. I mean, violent crimes should be, you should throw the book at violent crimes and you should not know, you know, uh, whatever, nonviolent drug offenses, just don't do that. Like what this, this idea that they're like, well, they're, the prisons are too full. And instead of addressing the fact that our, we make up some crimes, you know, no one who ever commits a crime against person or property should be, uh, you know, they, they shouldn't brush that under the rug. I mean, they just shouldn't, and they shouldn't be light on them and just get rid of the other stuff, the stuff that's not a Crimes against persons and property. Yeah. Well, in New York, he was arrested. This is, you know, in the news for injury to a child. And I don't know exactly what happened, but that's just the report that's been in the news. So um, anyway, they released him before ICE had a chance for a detainer. And then he immediately came to Athens because of Athens' reputation of being a sanctuary city. And it's illegal in Georgia for um, a city to be a sanctuary city, but the mayor had a problem proclamation in 2019 that had it was a loophole through that and it was just saying you know because of all the xenophobes and racist and white supremacist um you know during this time of donald trump we are going to welcome all regardless of status and how did that know. happen in athens by the way some quack says it's called an equity lens which of course is an inversion it's an inequity lens right but um how did that happen in athens like that well, must have been a targeted thing is that one of those soros da's well, that's well, what people mayor, say. But, yeah. I mean, well, the yeah. DA, yeah, people are saying, especially the DA is a Soros DA, but um, right. she, you know, has been four years in this office. She has never won a jury trial, never. How is that even possible? Aren't jury trials slam dunks? By the time you get to a jury, you're, you're, not maybe there. not. She just maybe doesn't not. care. So yeah, she doesn't care. She doesn't prepare. She doesn't try because she wants them to be free. So, and I'm talking, okay, she lost 14 consecutive murder cases so they're just they're just on the street in Athens um she's lost every rape case um the you know there are rapists that come back and taunt their victims and nothing happens to them and you know you can find this information you know online um I don't know so of course they the mayor on the day they did dig into defunding the police and all that. But um, so back to Lake and um, basically. Can I just tell you something? Yes. 
June 14th, 2023, I'm looking at Pew Research. Fewer than 1% of federal criminal defendants were acquitted in 2022. Um, it says, uh, it says fiscal year, I, I just want to make sure we get this right. In fiscal year 2022, only 290 of 72,000 defendants uh, went to trial and were acquitted. Okay. So she dismissed 40% of her cases, all of them, 40%, 46% dismissed. Right. So the ones that were remaining are what I just told you. She never won a trial, a jury trial. Now, she is supposed to have 17 attorneys working with her. Um, that's what she's funded for. But she's created such a horrible environment, job environment, that she only has three right now. They all quit. Hmm. And what, and so I remember one of the things you told me about was how they were handling the press releases, like their press conferences, like when they, well, they were the police chief. Right. So the first press release, um, when Lakin was murdered, the, this is the university of Georgia police chief, because it happened on campus. Um, he said that she was not a student and they tried to really downplay it just to cover themselves so that, you know, it wouldn't look quite so horrible if it was just an Athens, Athens resident that was killed instead of, you know, a student. But she was a student three years, um, UGA, and then she immediately transferred to a sister oh. program for yeah. nursing school. And is the classes are even held on campus. But Because they she, want the students to feel safe. Like they, Athens is a city they're trying to undermine, but the university, they yeah. don't. They don't want to. Right. Yeah. They don't want to lose enrollment, you know. Right. And they don't want uh, donors, you know, to their football programs. Yeah. I would feel, I mean, generally speaking, I would feel comfortable on a campus. I'd be kind of like in my mind, think that there was a fence around it that actually worked or something, you know. I mean, I, I like, I would not go into that thinking that sending my kid to UGI would, I, I just don't think I would be super, super worried. Yeah. And this, you know, this is broad daylight, so like 730 or 8 in the morning. Um, I will say a pattern is not safe. I actually, even in my own home, I try not to have a pattern. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So like I don't go grocery shopping at 10 a.m. every day. Like I try to never, ever be gone at the same time every day. But I right. mean, I'm not, I don't, I am not blaming anyone for, you know, that wasn't like stupid. I, I would have thought in that situation. Yeah. Like it would seem safe to me. Right. Um, and the lady that had the ring camera from this, murderers apartment complex yeah she said that she had seen like and you know very often walking through there so oh, he did, lived right near there she lived like lived there's a nice there's several nice student apartment complexes across the oh. road um so yeah she lived from what oh I so he like saw her he yeah. was following around because he saw her like near his house well yeah she would you walk know like across he, the street. he identified her he wasn't just sitting in the woods right she would walk across the street and then walk like through his parking lot to get oh, to the trail that just and then it's probably sick. like 300 or 400 feet from there to get to the running trail so that yeah he was stalking her sick. definitely this poor thing mm -hmm. um wow okay so what about the police chief i know i'm all over the place so god so yeah so anyway he just flat out lied and you know not even acknowledging so people were furious at the disrespect that right. this police chief showed, like not even acknowledging this girl was a student. 
such disrespect. It was horrible. So the next day or two, he, he completely backtracked and talk, they started talking about how she was a vital part of campus and she was such a wonderful student. She had a 4-0 and, you know, just completely backtracked. But the lying and corrupt um, behavior and all this, is I've just been shocked at what I've seen. It's horrible. And, and there was a lot of, like, defensiveness, too. I think that they, the guy continued to a champion the you know nonsensical policies of of lower standards and that kind of thing oh, right yeah. and that mayor yeah the mayor yeah um back to the like I said to the arrest so I didn't tell you this part so he was arrested in El Paso then went to New York was arrested there and also released before ICE could get the detainer then he came to Athens to you know escape that area um and was arrested or I think they used the word cited at least twice um for minor offenses, which they do here now, um, like for misdemeanors, there's no arrest. It's a citation. And but he, what kind of what what kind of thing can you I give me? I think it was example? shoplifting. Right. Okay. Kind of See, thing. there's crimes against person and property. It's not a traffic violation or smoking pot. You know, no. it's stealing mm -hmm. and hurting. Mm -hmm. So he was, you know, no no consequence, released immediately, and he didn't show up to be fingerprinted, which you know was required. And they said so they didn't, you know, search for him at all. They had his address and everything. They didn't search for him at all. Um, and so then he murdered Lakin. So, you know, my whole point is, regardless of what you believe about immigration and, you know, he was not supposed to be here. He was arrested three times. Nothing happened to him. He was never detained. Yeah. And if he were not here, Lakin would be alive. And I'm so sick of people basically taking up for him when this, you know, beautiful, brilliant girl who wanted to be a nurse was just going for a jog and she was murdered. You know, Here's he the was, thing. You don't want people who steal, kill, and hurt people in your community. And if there's a way to remove them as just consequences for their actions— you should do it. You should want to do it. Like of, of all things, like I, you know, I have been an anarcho-capitalist. I'm uh, basically an agorist. And I, I just, I think about that if you were going to have a legitimate government, their number, if they do actually want to keep you safe, if that legitimizes them, it's so easy to simply enforce like the basic human law of mm -hmm. punishment, not retribution even, but just you know, removing them from society, whether you exile them or put them in a jail, you don't want them walking around. And if you're aware of them, it's the easiest thing you could do. Right. Mm -hmm. And you you are from Athens, right? You're yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. And My whole life. Have you seen like has the, has it was it used to be a lovely place and it went off a cliff, or has it always been kind of just a college town or what? Oh my gosh, it's always been. I've never had any safety issues until, you know, probably the last five or 10 years. Um, our government is totally corrupt. They just do not care. Like I've been saying that this mayor and the DA and the police chief, they do not care at all about their citizens. I, I don't understand it. They care more about protecting criminals and illegal immigrants than they care about their citizens. But now, I mean, downtown has always been a really, you know, fun, bustling place. Now people really in the afternoon, and this is another thing, it's become such a political thing. If you talk to someone who's on the right, they'll tell you that they 
don't feel safe, even in the daytime, you know, going downtown or whatever, because there's so, so much going on. There's so many homeless people, um, you know, the status of fake sanctuary city. But if you talk to people on the left, then they'll say, oh, you know, it's never been better and we love it here. And, you know, so it's totally a political thing. Right. People are just not honest. And I feel like if you have a good community, and I'm not saying that my point about the immigration stuff is not that it's about immigrants. It's about if you have a solid community, it's much harder to to undermine it. And I think like when I even when I see the Republican governors shipping immigrants who don't speak English and are very far from any communities that might even be from their country into these random cities, I feel like that's they're playing right into it by delivering a, a, a group that cannot integrate, that will be a crisis for the community. And that's why I feel like, you know, this is from the left and that would be from the right. But when they say, like, come here and send us your worst, you know, not mm-hmm. your huddled masses, but right. your like homicidal maniacs, uh, this is where you should go. They're doing that to undermine the community and really nothing more, no other reason, certainly right. not for equity. And I have a friend that works in social services here, and she said that they actually get, you know, debit cards and phones and such. Oh, yeah. I've heard of people um, coming over because there was advertising in their town in a foreign country to go to a specific town here. And mm-hmm. there's a called a human rights industry. I think they get $15,000 when they arrive. Mm-hmm. And, you know, some I've heard people say that they don't want to take it. You know, but they're kind of insist on it because I think that might be how these human rights people get paid. And it's it's a like it's like, quote, privatization thing. So Mm. these companies that do that are not as accountable or transparent as even government entities, even though government entities are their sole source of revenue. Right. Yeah. So, So yeah, you I want to make sure you don't forget anything. And then I wanted to talk about if there are people trying to help or what. um, So as far as the trial. Thank God our DA has called in a special prosecutor because she wouldn't yeah. she wouldn't win this case and she lost the last 14 murder cases. So um, this lady's name is Sheila Ross. I don't know anything about her, but she's from Atlanta, supposedly, and she'll be prosecuting this case. Uh, well, Atlanta isn't, uh, I don't know, it's probably not any different. Mm-hmm. Um. I am still trying to figure out how, what is the, I just can't find that an easy answer to like exactly what percentage she should have won. You know, probably 50-50, right? Because if it's going to trial, it's because both sides feel like they have a good enough case. Right. And she's dismissing them, which, which I wouldn't put it past her to dismiss the one she thinks she has a good case against. Because she doesn't want to get the convictions, but right, whatever. exactly. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, so I think you said something about. I, I believe you sent me a picture of a rally. Yeah, that was. I believe that was a Wednesday. Um, and what was that? Last, what was the purpose of that? It was to honor. Um, there was a suicide. I know, a, actually, a student, yeah. yeah, in his dorm. It was a friend of a the, friend. He was uh, supposedly a great kid. Yeah, they, that's what I've heard. He's a great kid. So he committed suicide on Wednesday, and then Lakin's body was found Thursday morning. So this was, he was in a fraternity. She was in a sorority. So 
Um, so they joined together to have a joint memorial service for them. And it was at Tate Plaza on campus. And it, there were, I mean, I think there were thousands. It was completely It was packed. that picture. It did look big. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's so, I mean, that just really hits it to the bone. Because, you know, when you're a parent and your kids go off to college, like, you know, you just you really make yourself very vulnerable. I, I heard an article, read a quote that said, when you have a child, you've made the decision to let your heart walk around outside your body for the rest of your life. Yes. And, you know, this going off to, I don't even like this, like the draft, it's also meant to break up communities, in my opinion. Yeah. You can't watch them. They're 18 years old. Right. They're in places that you don't know anything about. You can't even tell them what streets to walk down. It's really, it's nuts. But in any case, so what are people like up in arms? Is there any hope for Athens to, you know, take their city back? Yes. Um, so at the mayor's conference, there were protesters there that, you know, called him out, called him a liar, um, you know, and then he, it's been all over the news. The mayor's conference has. It's been you know, all over the national news. And um, they've they've called him out. I've been really surprised at the media on this. Um, there's a rally next Tuesday before the next mayor and commissioner's meeting. Um, so that's one thing that's planned in Athens. There are a lot of things that are planned, you know, just to help the families, just to support them. Nothing um, will help but time. Oh, I know. You know, nothing helps. And then you just have to wait until you can stop thinking about it. That's just awful. Yes. <sighs> and seeing Lakin's mother's Facebook page, oh my gosh, it just breaks your heart. Yeah. That's why when like I see false flags or whatever and like the parents are on the news that night yes. telling how they want gun control, I'm like that I don't give me people grieve differently. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like you are mm-hmm. not you can't speak, you know, you're right. not speaking the my family's no stranger to tragedy and just, you know, it's just Mm -hmm. awful. I can't stand it. So um, I appreciate very much that you uh, have kept me informed on this story because it is, it is tragic. And I don't even want to, you know, I didn't even want to really cover it or cover it myself because it felt like deep, but not personal. And she was a person and they were negating her who she was and um, you know, not to get political or anything, but the, these colleges, they're, there's, you know, there's no reason not to keep, we, we, we spend like 50% of the GDP on taxes, like the, with, under the guise of safety, you know, mm-hmm. defense and policing, like, you know, just, it's not, it doesn't have to be that hard. Right. <sighs> and there are um, a lot of safety initiatives that the Athens police and UGA have planned you know, since Lakin's murder, you know, better lighting on campus, cut back, you know, the, you know, the dangerous um, sidewalk, all the brush on the sidewalk and, you know, make everything more visible. No, but all that stuff is just another, you know, part of that is feeds into another agenda of total surveillance all the time. Like cutting back landscaping was a big thing when they were mm-hmm. doing the school shootings. And, you know, so they put up these policies that make things worse. And then when bad things happen, they use them as an excuse to, implement what they wanted in the first place, which, exactly. you know, yeah. Yep, so true. do you know what this guy's story was in Venezuela? He had a brother. Do we, you know the story? Yeah, oh yeah. His brother, um, his brother had been arrested several times too. And get this, he was hired to work at UGA, even with his criminal background. He, wow. he made, he made and presented, um, fake 
green cards. And they hired him without even, you know, verifying it or whatever. So he actually was in the dining halls working. Um, he they, they claimed that he didn't get his first check because he didn't provide, you know, whatever documentation he needed to before he got his check. So he was fired for that reason. But he was working, you know, up until he was supposed to get his first check. Now, that's what they say. We do know right. for a fact he was working there because there's a lot of TikTok videos of him working. Wow. And what about, so we don't know what their story was in Venezuela, how they got over no. here or whatever? Nope. No idea. Oh my gosh, Miss D, thank you so much for, I love uh, that you, we met through a, like a meetup and yeah. you were a listener <laughs> when I was on the Monica Perez show on WSB and yeah. I've just really, uh, you know, enjoyed getting to know you and I love that you keep me informed on like, this is very, very sad and tragic, but I, you even give me like um, little snippets of the UGA band and I just, you know, the things that you do that yeah. you keep me informed <laughs> of like local Georgia, it makes me feel like I'm still connected to that community, which uh. I really loved. So I appreciate it. And please uh, let's have another chat with something more uplifting, uh, let's hope more uplifting things happen and yes. we can continue yes. to keep our dialogue open. Thank you very much, Miss D. I'm going to let you go. And thank you all for listening and for showing up. I am on the Monica Perez show. That's my feed again on iTunes. If you don't like the commercials, please Sign up for the premium feature there on iTunes. It's only five bucks a month. And uh, if you don't want to do that, you don't mind the commercials, that's great. The commercials do uh, contribute a great deal to my production expenses. You could, though, hit the subscribe button, maybe leave me a rating on your favorite podcasting platform because then I get more listeners and, uh, you know, makes it a little bit more worthwhile. Thanks very much, everyone, for coming. This is Monica Perez.